bold vision, inspirational leadership, drive, determination, creativity. Welcome to Secrets of Staffing Success, a podcast where we talk to innovators and thought leaders in the staffing industry to discover the strategies and tactics that make these top performers stand out. And here are your hosts, the co-CEOs of Haley Marketing, Victoria Kenward and David Cerns. Over the past few months, there's been a lot said about the changing labor market. We've gone from 16% unemployment in March of 2000 down to less than 4% today. And we're seeing recruiting challenges pretty much unlike at any time in our careers. Well, our guest today knows a thing or two or three about these kinds of challenges. He's Thad Price, the CEO of Talru, and a 20-year veteran of the talent acquisition industry. In today's show, we chat about the four critical factors that are driving talent shortages in today's market, why talent acquisition needs to be viewed as a sales and marketing process, the impact of remote work, and how small to mid-sized companies and small to mid-sized staffing firms can really compete for talent the impact of gig work on recruiting, and the often overlooked advantages of traditional work. How organizations need to change the paradigm of hiring to be more strategic and to see people as a revenue center. Secrets of Staffing Success is brought to you by Haley Marketing. Now, this show may be about the secrets of success in running a staffing company, but it's no secret that marketing has really evolved in our industry to being a strategic function, pretty much on par with the value of sales and recruiting. The challenge for most staffing companies is that good marketing requires an incredibly diverse set of skills, plus pretty in-depth knowledge of staffing, recruiting, and business strategy. That's why Haley Marketing has developed new digital marketing bundles for 2022. We've put together packages of services designed to provide the digital marketing your company needs to support sales and drive your recruiting. Now, if you already have internal marketing talent, we can provide the expertise and the extra hands that you need to implement strategic and consistent digital marketing. And if you don't have full-time in-house marketers, we can be your team. We've designed our 2022 bundles to be affordable for companies of all sizes. Now, if you'd like to know more about our new digital marketing bundles, the easiest thing to do is give us a call at 888-696-2900. You can also visit our website, haleymarketing.com, and go to the Digital Marketing Services page. Hey, we are here, our first South Florida episode of Secrets of Staffing Success for 2022. Uh, For those who don't know, Haley Marketing is headquartered up in Buffalo, New York. And we're really happy to now be a remote company so that we can escape Buffalo, New York for a few months in this uh, winter, dull, gray, dreary, snowy season to somewhere warm and sunny. So it's pretty good to be here, isn't it? Sure is. It's about 80 degrees and sunny outside. We just went outside for lunch and went for a little bit of a walk. It was gorgeous. We don't do that in Buffalo. So I'm excited to be down here. Well, I'm also excited today. We've had a lot of staffing company guests on this show. We've had some suppliers to the industry and consultants to the industry on the show. But this is the first guest we've ever had that's really from the the career 
advertising industry. And this is the first real technology company we've had on the show with us. So I'm really excited today to speak with our guest. His name is Thad Price. He is the CEO at Talru. And Thad, welcome to Secrets of Staffing Success. David and Vicki, great to be here. Thank you so much. Um, I'm happy that you're enjoying warm South Florida. What a great place to be this time of year instead of cold and, and snowy Buffalo. <laughs> How's Austin? What's the weather like there? Austin, it's strange. I will say on Wednesday, it was 80 and yesterday it was 30. So, um, you know what they say about Texas, you know, uh, with, with temperature changing very quickly. So we had a great, it was great on Wednesday and then it, we had a little cold uh, front come through, but it looks like it's going to be nicer this weekend. So, but it's been sunny. I, I'm just going to sure. put my order in now. The staffing industry executive forum is going to be in your backyard in a little over a month. So we're ordering good weather for that week. Awesome. That would be great. Love to catch up with you, with you all, uh, you know, if you're in attendance for that. It's Austin is a great town for, you know, for conferences, conventions, um, and they've invested a lot into it. So we're always great, always happy to, to entertain folks while they're in town. Oh, absolutely. Oh, David, you up on that. David knows, right? David knows. Oh, firsthand. we're not talking about no, those are stories we're not going to. <laughs> yeah. and we're just going to move on oh, now. Stories. Those are olden days. I'm older now and much more responsible. Sure you are. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Thad, for people who are listening that may not be familiar with Tauru, hopefully there's not many of them, but would you mind giving a little background on your organization and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So Tauru is a, a data-driven uh, profile-driven programmatic job advertising platform that allows companies to reach uh, blue-collar essential workers and more of a target CPA uh, approach. So, you know, what we've seen move in job advertising in the last few years is more of a consumer-based approach in how we attract talent and more of a marketing approach in how we attract talent. And um, so we power over a billion job searches uh, per month, and we use that to help companies reach talent audiences. And by reaching talent audiences, we can help companies target the right candidates for for open roles. So um, customers range from um, large enterprise staffing firms as well, uh, mid-market. So it's been been great to help companies over the last few years and and more um, kind of navigate this, this new world, uh, that is, um, that's forming from a talent yeah, perspective. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to lie right now because I mentioned, we're going to jump right in with, with a specific question, but I actually want to pivot based on what you just said. Yeah. So you're with all the data that you have, uh, you sort of mentioned this in your comments. Are you seeing people change their advertising strategies working with you over the last 20 months? Absolutely. So, you know, if you think about the the nature of job advertising and attracting talent, what we've seen is it's gone right now. It's very reactive. It's I need I need candidates now. Um, I have to fill my open roles and I'm going to try a lot of things and see what works. And hopefully I can make the hires that I need. And that kind of, you know, that reactive nature is just the world we live in. And I think through this, what we will see is we will see more of a proactive nature of building talent pools, thinking talent more strategically in terms of business than maybe we have in the past. Uh, but right now, you know, it's more about it's more about filling those positions. And I think the the key to that is for years we've been talking about you know talent acquisition, HR um, as a as a revenue center because great people grow great companies. Um, I think that now we're seeing 
business leaders, boards really think about talent as 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 a revenue center and not a cost center, because I think traditionally, um, in some cases, businesses have looked at, oh my gosh, it's going to cost money to hire people, and we'll, how much will that cost me? Instead of what am I losing by not hiring someone? And so I I definitely see a pendulum swinging, which um, you know, which I think is great for you know for our businesses in a lot of ways, and great for the economy in a lot of ways because you know talent drives the economy in in Ford. Do you think the businesses are making that change to looking at it as an investment, or do you think it's coming from the candidates and the job seekers who are changing the requirements of how they work and, and what they want from a job? That's a great question. So I think, I think you're right. I think it's both. I think so. We had a um, earlier, I would say uh, this year, but we're in a new year. So in 2021, we had a sales summit and we kicked off and we had a few interviews of a few customers. And one, um, one customer owned a number of franchises, uh, McDonald's franchises, and she was the owner of those franchises and said, you know, I'm spending more time than I've ever spent just trying to find people and trying to find talent that will want to work. And I've raised salaries, I've raised hourly rates, you know, over and over again. And I never, and, and so that was kind of like one of those aha moments of, wow, I need to be doing this. I don't want this to happen again. So I need to be rethinking my entire talent acquisition strategy, my entire talent attraction strategy, because she was having to close her franchises at a certain time. And that was, you know, that was a revenue impact, right? To be able to close close a restaurant or a location at 5 p.m. or 6 or 6 p.m. She was losing or eight or nine. She was losing any uh, any revenue that was generated during those time periods, but of course, still playing, paying for the facility. So, you know, I think that's probably what we've been seeing. I also think that there's a shift of the labor market. And so there's a couple of things driving this. The first is, um, you know, in the last probably two years, um, we've seen more baby boomers kind of retire than we've seen in many years before. There's there's an increase. There was about 10% more baby boomers that retired at the beginning of 2021 than the year before that. And then, of course, that's a large, large percentage of the overall working population. And the reason for that is, is because you know, for the most part, home values are higher than they've ever been, which is a lot of wealth. A lot of wealth is uh, attached to to um, residences. And then, of course, you have the four hundred one ks being uh, fairly robust through you know the last couple years. And so there's this feeling of okay, you know, health, safety, financial. Um, Hey, I'm out, right? I'm I'm gonna go do. I'm gonna go live my life. I'm gonna spend time with my family. I'm gonna travel, whatever that may be. And so that's the first thing that I believed, you know, sent some waves into the labor market. And I will say it's not one thing. I think there's a couple of things. The second big wave that we've been seeing is the idea of, and I'll I'll use my I'll use my parents as an example. Um, during the pandemic, they, uh, you know, um, or I should say earlier earlier in the pandemic, um, they were using delivery services. So they were using delivery services for Instacart to deliver their groceries. And you know, for years, we've been talking about this idea of, of the impact of the gig marketplaces and how they're providing alternative for people to work. 
And because of the increase in because of the increase in demand by a lot of these marketplaces, there's a lot more work, a lot more trips available for for folks than before. And so because of that, couple that with this focus on talent and job seekers looking for flexibility, that's been the big shift. The number two key that job seekers are looking for, the number two factor they're looking for in a role is flexibility. It's wage and flexibility. And so now if you have this huge pool, pool of options to engage in this idea of flexible work, whether it's turn on the app, turn on and off when I want to work, and there's a lot more opportunity there, then people are making that choice. You know, do I want to, do I want to not have flexibility, uh, have shifts that I have to be there to work, you know, potentially be around other people, or can I be my own boss and, you know, drive or deliver? And that is a piece of this as well. When we think about that kind of that oppor- the, the clearing wage or, you know, the clearing opportunity that folks may be thinking about when they're making that r- rational decision of what they want to do. And, and I would say the third thing is just this idea of remote work where, you know, it used to be that companies could only recruit in a certain city or a location. And now for knowledge workers, we can recruit everywhere. We can, we can find the best talent and, and not be focused on the barriers that is geography, right? We can, we can find the, the right talent, hire them remotely in another city, and that's creating this you know, that's creating this great resignation that you know we we're mentioning earlier. So you couple all that with this labor market that is just booming. And I, I feel you have a perfect storm of companies trying to rethink how they attract and strategies in which, you know, they're looking to attract talent and rethinking the idea of recruiting and what recruiting means for organizations. One thing you didn't mention was the, the women in the work phase workplace that are leaving because childcare costs are so expensive and so difficult in a pandemic. Um, and then, you know, kids coming out of, in and out of school because schools are quarantining people or closing down and going remote. And um, I assume that has an impact as well. Oh, abs- absolutely. Uh, from some of our surveys, childcare is one of the, has historically been one of the, the biggest concerns of, of families. Um, now it's even more you know, now it's even more of an issue. And you're right, people are making that decision. I think it's gone from, we've, we've as a society, we have, um, we have re transforming how we're thinking of this idea of work-life balance. And it's more about life and what work can afford you uh, from the perspective of balance, family, childcare, all of these things. And you are right, there's, there's this huge, you know, there's this huge, um, you know, thought, you know, there's this huge process happening of, of do I, you know, which way do I go? And, and how do I, at the end of the day, ensure safety for my family, and that I'm able to in, ensure that I can provide, um, you know, what my family needs to thrive. So that I want to follow up a little bit on the, the remote work trend. I, I mean, I opened talking about the for us personally, the benefit of now being a remote company, and we can work from anywhere. But when your clients are trying to recruit nationally, possibly even internationally, now all of a sudden, you know, when you were recruiting locally, you were competing with however many employers in your industry in your town. And now you're competing with employers anywhere. So how do 
small to mid-size employers, when you see them advertising, how do they compete when you got to go up against, you mentioned in Austin, you've got the giant tech companies coming in and throwing chaos into your marketplace. (laughs) How do you compete with that when it's available internationally? I would first say that small, you know, small, medium-sized businesses need to really think about culture and ensure that, you know, there is good, uh, there's good brand and there's good alignment in, you know, what it means, you know, what the North star of, of, of said company is um, because people are making that decision about what they're, what they're passionate about, you know, what industry you serve, you're serving, what difference are you making? All of these lined up with, you know, a strong culture and focus around what's important, I think is, is the key. And it all starts there. We can't just, I don't think there is a way to basically say, I'm just going to pay more. I think, you know, those days are gone. I think there is people that will always pay more. (laughs) I think you have to find alignment around what people are really looking for and what they're passionate about and try to ensure that you're building that talent pool of of folks that um, are interested. I also think that, you know, there's a huge opportunity in your, even in your local and over, even in a local local, uh, market to embrace, you know, all of the um, workplace awards that may be available. So even if you are, even if you are recruiting nationally or internationally, you should still embrace your local market and build a brand in your local market and look at, look at ways that you can um, apply for awards and apply for ways to showcase to people that, Hey, you know, we're a top place to work or we're a best, you know, we're one of the best places to work. And I think all of that is important, but if you're not addressing, if you're not addressing, you know, your culture, your workplace culture, and what that means, then, you know, you got to start there. (laughs) Uh, Then all of these other, you know, branding, you know, all these other branding events, all these other areas um, uh, won't have the impact that you desire. Um, So I I think that's one thing. I think it's trying to find, you know, what, and you do find there are talent pools of, of individuals where you can speak to entrepreneurial spirit and wear a lot of hats and be more than a number and all these things, but you have to be very transparent about that. So one of the things we chat about with a lot of our customers is there's a difference between a job rec and a job advertisement. And the key to a job advertisement is interest the reader. This person is looking for you. This person is looking for a job. This person is reading your job description. How can I go back to you know, what we learned many years ago and interest the reader right up front. How can I, how can I ensure that I'm, I'm grabbing their attention with how we're different than every other job that's available? And so I always encourage companies to focus on, read through their, 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 their job advertisement to ensure it's really intriguing enough and really interesting enough. The other thing I would say is transparency in those job advertise, advertisements. Um, you know, as, as tra- the more transparent you can be, the better. And the reason why that's so important is because they're going to do their own job seekers are doing their own research. There are tools at their fingertips that they, you know, uh, more tools than they've ever had before. And so they're doing their research. They're learning about you. They're learning about your company. All these things are important to kind of tie everything together. So I think, you know, all of that is super important. Um, You know, when I, when I would think about the, when I was talking a little bit more about the gig marketplaces and, you know, folks making the decision on, okay, am I going to, Am I going to, you know, deliver for Instacart or DoorDash or whatever that may be, or am I going to uh, 
um, engage in, let's call it traditional um, employment, I would say the big thing we have to do is to focus on what the opportunity is. And I said this earlier about, you know, this idea of a clearing wage and clearing opportunity. I think we have to do a good job of selling the opportunity of what it is to work for said company, you know, and who's worked their way up, you know, can you work your way up? Showcase that. Because if you think of some of the, if you think of some of these marketplaces that I mentioned, it's very transactional. You know, you're not, you're not working, essentially you're not working your way up to a manager, you know, delivering, but you could, if you worked for FedEx or if you worked for UPS or another company from a delivery, uh, from a delivery perspective, just one example. So I really think it's important for us to showcase the opportunity of, of, you know, embracing the idea of working for a company. And as practitioners, we should encourage uh, our hiring managers to do that and to really think about it and challenge them and not just, you know, not just get, oh gosh, it's so hard to hire. I don't really have any, you know, I, I don't really have any um, uh, proof points. Uh, can you, it's gotta be that marketing conversation. We've got to put our marketing hats on and start the entire conversation uh, around good marketing. Yeah, I really like your your thought process there on competing with the gig economy because a lot of the people you mentioned, light industrial jobs is a place where Talru shines. So a lot of those jobs in terms of base wage are, can look comparable to gig jobs. Um, right. But financially, when you subtract out the cost of your gas and the wear and tear in your car and whatever else goes into your gig job, the uh, your real rate per hour is a lot less. But I think what is often overlooked when competing against them is exactly what you just mentioned is, well, you're going to be part of a team. You're going to have a supervisor. You're going to have mentors. You're going to have career opportunities. You're going to have a whole level of support that you're not going to get through an app. That's right. That's right. Uh, and we, and we, should, we should celebrate that. Companies should celebrate that. It's definitely a selling feature and it's definitely a marketing feature. I also think that um, you mentioned culture and values and people having a purpose. And a lot of times you can hit on that. Um, what is this company hiring for? What do they do? Why, what is the purpose of the company? And then as an employee of that company, how can that purpose align with your personal purpose and fulfill something greater than just the wages? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I think it's really important. Yeah, absolutely. One of the suggestions that we've, um, you know, that we've had for customers, you know, when you think about sales and marketing, because one of the, one of the, one of the keys that we shared with a lot is think of your recruiting strategy as more of a sales and marketing strategy. And one of the suggestions I've had in in sales and marketing teams, um, there are, there's a, there's a battle card that when you're potentially selling against another company, that you build a battle card of, you know, why is your product better? How should you sell? And that's consistent in a sales process. And I encourage recruiting teams to build battle cards of their competitors, right? So if you think of someone saying, well, I'm going to work for company XYZ instead of this, or if they decline an offer, then set up these battle cards and say why it's important to work for our business so that there's a consistent message across your recruiting teams. So, you know, we just had this discussion about kind of the gig marketplaces and the, you know, the opportunity for, for light industrial, having mentorship, management, upward mobility, all these things that are important. That's a great opportunity for someone uh, from a recruiting process perspective to create a battle card 
so that the recruiting organization can pull that, you know, look to that battle card when they're, you know, trying to win, you know, trying to win, you know, quote unquote, the, the war for talent and use that battle card uh, in some of their process. So I think there are a lot of pieces like that, that traditional sales and marketing teams have used to be, to be successful over the years that we can then apply to recruiting. Love that battle card concept. And um, you mentioned that, you know, recruiting really is a sales and marketing function. Uh, obviously, we're a marketing company, so we agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> but you also touched on a few things earlier, positioning, um, creating brand differentiation. And I'd love to get more of your thoughts as to what employers should be doing to really rethink recruiting from a sales and marketing perspective. So I think the first is understanding what the experience looks like. You know, the first I think is going through the entire, you know, for lack of a better word, recruiting funnel and, and trying to figure out, okay, what are we measuring um, in each step of this? You know, how, how is our career site performing? How is, what, what's our conversion rate of folks applying for a job? You know, all these different things. Then after someone has applied for a job, how long does it take for us to get back to the candidate? Then through that process, where are we, what's each step after that process, after we've screened the, screened the, um, the candidate, you know, how long are we connecting? What's that next step? Interview scheduled. How many team members are, um, you know, are, are we sending offers? Are we rejecting? All of those metrics need to be tracked through every step of that funnel, uh, pre and post apply. Once we have that, then I would encourage you to, I would encourage teams to take a step back and say, all right, if this, if, if this was a marketing funnel and you are my sales team, what would we expect? Well, first off, if someone applies for a job, which is like a sales lead and a recruiter hasn't contacted that applicant in two days or three days, that's probably a large area for improvement because if sales leaves inbound leads around for a couple of days, we've probably all seen the study that there's a, there's an impact. There's a large impact of the likelihood of you converting that sales lead into a customer. And so that's one example of, of at each step in the process of setting goals and, you know, what, what providers can we use to help with this? What systems can we evaluate to help with this? What tools are there to help us? What do we need? You know, some, sometimes we, we may already have some of that tech stack in some of our other um, departments that we can use or what service provider can we use um, to help us you know, walk through that. But I think, I think the first step is just figuring out what we're doing, trying to figure out what our current metrics are and then setting goals of what we think they should be and understanding you know, how this is more like a sales and marketing process. And a lot of companies bring in your sales and marketing team. Hey, if this was your funnel, what would you, what would you say to this? We're, we're, our applicants, we're taking two days or three days to respond to our applicants. A sales leader would probably say that's too long. And so I think we can, so that would be my thought is to really just first take a step back, you know, get out of the tactical. I need to hire these people. And I know it's hard, but take a step back and start analyzing you know, step-by-step step throughout this process, just like you would analyze 
you know, a, a marketing and sales experience for a prospect. I think that's such a great suggestion. I wonder how many people, how many companies have actually done anything like that. I get the feeling not too many. So that there's a ton of competitive edge that you could earn there by improving that funnel and removing the waste and wasted time in there. Um, maybe some automation could be included. Absolutely. Yeah, Vicki, I wanted to, to throw in, you know, we're just thinking about um, just a few weeks ago, um, we took our adult kids to, uh, to Disney World because they're adults, but they're still little kids to us. Um, but everyone still loves Disney, but you, it, it was packed. I mean, the, the place was a madhouse. And you think about customer experience. People hate lines. They hate crowds. I mean, some people won't go to Disney because of that. But you look at the lengths that Disney will go to to think about and analyze the experience of waiting in a line. And how do we make it more entertaining? How do we make it more enjoyable? How do we make it so you don't see the line you're in? We were in one that went on forever, but you, know, you couldn't see it until you made the next twist and turn. You're like, oh no, I thought this was the front of the line. But each, because it was a bunch of little small segments, it didn't feel as bad as if you had seen that we're in a 2,000 person long line. And I'm thinking about companies that look at their recruiting process. There's a lot of talk, Vicky, you just mentioned it on automation. They're thinking about eliminating the lack of candidate communication, which is fantastic. But I'm not sure how many are really thinking about the type of messaging, the tone, the ways to really create that Disney-esque talent engagement so that yeah, there are going to be delays while people are evaluating you as a, as a candidate, but how do we make it enjoyable? How do we keep you up to speed? How do we keep you from feeling like you're waiting? Now, do you see anybody that is finding better ways to keep candidates more engaged throughout the hiring process? I would say I've seen some interesting solutions as of late, um, but I haven't seen anyone probably connect that entire experience of throughout the process. And what I have seen is customers say, well, my applicant tracking system isn't doing it for me <laughs> and isn't providing the conversion rate that I need or the applicant flow that I need. Can I just have, could I have a lightweight form, if that makes sense, right? A form of just, I just want to talk to people. Let me just talk to people. And I want to have folks, you know, in my pipeline. So I, I have seen that customers are saying, I'm willing to, I'm willing to do the work for the candidate, if that makes sense. Like as a recruiter, I'm willing to do the, I'm willing to enter them into the process or I'm, I'm willing to do all of this. I just need, I need people to talk to. And I think that that's a big, I think there's a, that's a big opportunity in the industry is trying to figure out what that engagement looks like, create you know, an, an amazing experience, you know, post apply. And I'm not sure as an industry, we, we focus on, that as much as we should, you know, you know, we, I, I shared earlier about the job advertisement, the all powerful job ad and how that is really ad copy. And we don't think of it as an industry as ad copy. Well, if we don't think about the job ad as ad copy, how in, how in the world are we going to think about everything post apply as a marketing experience? You know, if it all starts there. And so I think we have to rethink all these touch points, as you mentioned, in creating raving fans like like Disney, and how we can get you know the the, the time honored uh, the time honored um, complaint in the industry um, by job seekers is is the the black hole 
you know, of, of applying and never hearing back, people want to hear back and people want to be engaged in a certain way. And that's still the number one, that's still the number one um, focus of job seekers. You know, if they had to say what they would like to hear, they'd like to hear, you know, that experience and like to be a part of that experience. And I think we can still, as an industry, learn a lot about that. It's interesting though, that um, recruiters are complaining about the no-show rates going up and all that. And, and they're turning around and doing the same kind of thing to that applicant by not you know, acknowledging that you're, there's a human being over here that deserves to know where they stand in this situation that they're trying to get this job. I think we have to do both sides of this. We have, we have to take some accountability as recruiters to make sure that we're treating people as human. Terrific point. So you mentioned something earlier on. Go ahead, David. I was going to say, you mentioned something earlier on about organizations trying to do more of looking at people as a revenue center rather than a cost center. And I'm wondering if there's a, a really a tie-in to them thinking about recruiting as a marketing function. I know we've started to have conversations, and I think it was a, another speaker we heard that talked about well, when you're hiring somebody you're making a conscious decision to make an investment. If I'm paying that person $50,000, $100,000 a year, that's a fifty dollars or $100,000 a year investment in the business, plus, plus when you add in everything else. So if I was going to go hire a consulting firm, I'd want to figure out the ROI. If I was going to buy software, I'd want to figure out the ROI. But talent decisions aren't often looked at that way. And you know, as, as organizations start to see people as a revenue center, will they start to do more of that analyzing the, the investment? I think so. I think we're going to see more of um, it, but I, but I think it's, I think today it's, it's more about the aggregate value of not having team members on the team and how, how that may be impacting business. And I, I, there was a, I think probably a few months ago, there was a article, um, FedEx. It was an article on FedEx, and I think they were sharing their uh, their quarterly earnings, and um, they attributed hundreds of millions of dollars of losses to not having enough to not having enough team members routing packages and having to reroute packages around the around the U.S. and touch packages um, many different times after the. After our interview, I'll send you all the uh, the link to the article. Really fascinating. And so, someone there said, "Well, we need more. We need more. We need more folks in the distribution centers handling everything because we're spending more money routing these packages to less to 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 more costly areas where we have to then route the route packages back to another area." Um, and so, I think that's a great example of how I think there are certain departments where there is potentially an aha moment where when there's, you know, there's more, you know, in this case, cost of the alternative. <laughs> so I think there's two things, right? I think it's like, okay, well, we're, this is costing us more because of some processes that could be happening. And I think the second thing is, is that, well, what are we losing because we haven't hired, you know? So I think it's a couple, I think it's a, a couple ways to look at it. Um, in sales for years, it's been easy. Right? Especially when you think of high, you know, high performance sales teams where you're like, okay, I need X amount of calls. I need a close rate. I need them to drive revenue and to sign X amount of business. 
a month. I think those conversations are now happening at in individual departments. And I think it's different for every department and probably different for every role. But I think this has this is the catalyst to have those discussions more so than probably we would have, you know, a few years ago. Yeah, that's excellent point. Are those discussions happening in HR? Are they happening in the CFO's office or are they happening somewhere else in the organization? I think it, I believe it probably happens with the hiring manager and then it probably ripples out to, and it could start with, that's a great, that's a great question. I'm not sure. I would say, I definitely think the CFO, um, I definitely think CFOs have that role to play in that conversation. Um, but I'm not sure where it starts. Yeah, I was struggling with how exactly do you figure out that calculation? Like you said, sales is very easy to make an attribution towards, okay, this is where the revenue is coming from and this is what it costs me. But I have a hard time figuring that out in other areas of our company. And, um, you know, we have a relatively small company. So if you're doing this for a thousand people or a hundred thousand people, how do you start to make those attributions? Where do you start with, with that calculation? That's a hard question, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a hard question. I, I think it all starts with the conversation, you know, and and try to ripple out. Um, you know, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of accelerating sales for an example. If we in recruiting, if our if we're trying to hire account executives aggressively, and we can't source and and find those account executives fast enough and schedule them for interviews fast enough then that could that could provide uh, pressure on business growth because we need more resource we need more resources and human resources in our talent acquisition team so i think i think it's a you have to have a you have to really think strategically of each role and position and when you can't fill that role and you need to fill that role then you need to think where where's the ripple right cuz on the surface if you're saying well i need more human, I need another talent acquisition um, resource for, you know, recruiting I'm looking to do, you wouldn't necessarily see, okay, well, will that have an impact to business? But if we ripple that out and say, I can't interview account executives fast enough or source account executives fast enough to hit revenue projection goals, then that's the ripple that happens, you know, to that particular department. So uh, you're right. It's, it's a tricky question. I think it all starts with trying to understand the roles, the opportunity, and how that impacts the business. I was thinking maybe you back into it from, these are my goals that I have for this company for a a year. What are the resource constraints that I'm seeing that will prevent us from hitting those roles? And maybe back into it that direction. I'm not quite sure. It's something I really want to play with. I'm sorry, David, what were you going to say? We literally took the words right out of my mouth. I was thinking the the (laughs) book, uh, Great CEOs Are Lazy, one of yeah. the first things it says is the CEO's number one job is to identify capacity constraints because that's what prevents growth. And if I'm going to think about people as an investment, if I'm investing in people where I eliminate capacity constraints, um, now I'm going to have a return on that investment that's probably the easiest to manage. It's probably the hardest when you get to just the supporting roles, the administrative roles, sometimes the, the, the back office technology roles because it's a, they're further removed from the things that drive revenue. Don't tell our back office team that. 
Yeah, we couldn't live without them. So, <laughs> hey Thad, before we run out of time here, uh, you've been in this game in the technology and talent industry for 20 plus years. What would you say are some of the biggest lessons you've learned? Yeah, I think I think the biggest lesson I've learned is is we need to constantly test and rethink strategy, whether from a business perspective, from a product perspective, uh, from a process perspective. I think we need to constantly be evolving um, businesses and, and everything that we do based on what we see from the labor market. And I think at the end of the day, you know, we're matching, we're matching candidates with great employers and that's important. And, you know, we're, we're focused and we're, we need to be able to move based on what's happening in the labor market. And I think so much in our industry is we've been doing it this way for the last few years and it's worked, but that may not get you, that may not get you the next, that may not be able to provide the value the next few years if you're still doing it that way. And so I think it's a, I think it's a constant evolution of how we think about business, how we think about innovation and how we think about process across the board. And if there's anything that the last few years taught, taught us, you know, that's it. We constantly have to be transformational on how we think about our businesses and how we think about labor and talent. And, you know, especially as the labor market is um, as, as important to all of our businesses and our success, you know, as it is. Yeah, what did they say? If you don't disrupt yourself, somebody else is going to do it. So you have to be in that mindset of how can we do this better, faster, cheaper? And it's constant. You have to constantly be improving. Yeah. And the, the labor market is ever changing. So that creates that reason to, to make those changes. It's great. I mean, how, how many, for years in the industry, we've been, we've been you know, chatting about the impact to baby boomers and what what that change will mean to industries, to healthcare, to teaching, you know, education, you know, all of these, all of these uh, very important industries. And here we are. And, you know, did we, did we uh, move on it years ago? Some, no, no, <laughs> no, as you said, we're no. very reactive. Because we, well, we all thought it was so much farther in the future. And I think the pandemic made it happen so much faster than anybody anticipated. So we all kind of push it off. Yeah, the end of the world's coming, but it's not tomorrow. So I'll just keep going. And now it, when, we, when we think about when we think about healthcare, education and engineering now, now throwing this wrinkle that, you know, it's a remote world and, you know, your talent pool isn't just Austin or your talent pool isn't just Buffalo. Your talent pool is all over. That's a whole new wrinkle to throw into a recruitment strategy and, and how you can attract the right talent to grow your business. So we've constantly have to be in this idea of, of reinventing what it means to recruit and the tools we use to recruit. So I think that's a good segue to my final question and a really good opportunity for us to talk a little more about Tauru. But what do you see as being the keys to success in staffing and recruiting in the next two to three years? I think, I think in, in staffing and recruiting, it's about creating a relationship with, it's a creating relationship with your talent, with all the talent you have access to. And whether you are a business that has your own talent pool where you're, 
you, you receive applicants and you create a relationship with those applicants or whether you're a staffing firm, I think the key is being in the relationship business and you should automate whatever you can um, in, your, in your daily life and try to leverage technology to be able to automate whatever you can. If you think of sales organizations, again, in the last few years, there, there have been a lot of tools that companies have embraced that have allowed account executives and sales professionals to be more, be more efficient than ever. Um, you know, tools like uh, sales loft, for an example, um, outreach, another great example. All of these tools are ways that sales teams are being more efficient and, and ensuring a relationship with prospects, a relationship with accounts. I think there's a lot we can learn as an industry of embracing systems and, and processes like that to ensure that we realize that our talent pool is our unique differentiator. And by having access to our talent pool and by cultivating those relationships, I think that's what's so important with recruiting. You know, we said it earlier, you know, we can't take the human out of human resources. <laughs> it is about a relationship. It is about having uh, a, a continual um, experience with your talent pool. And you have to think about ways you can do that. And it's hard. And that's why I think we should look at tools and technology to be able to ensure that we're nurturing that talent pool as much as possible. Do you want to give us a couple couple minute, how can Talru do that? <laughs> well, so, so I'll share, uh, sure, I'll share a little bit more about, you know, you know, how we think about the world when it comes to uh, job advertising. So um, we think that in consumer advertising, you know, it, we've moved in a world in consumer advertising when some, when Ford says, I want to advertise the F-150, my F-150 truck to folks looking to buy a truck. Ford engages and says, I want to advertise to these audiences. And they say, I want to advertise to people looking to buy a truck. And our, our thesis is that as we think about the next generation of, of job advertising and matching job seekers to employers, really it's about finding the audiences that an employer is looking, is looking to hire um, and drive those applicants to, of course, and drive those applicants to employers. And the way to do that is to understand more about the applicants. The way to do that is to understand more about the, the, the applicant's skills, the requirements of the job and ensure that you're matching in a way that's um, best for both worlds. Because it's not only about the employer, of course, it's always about the job seeker and there is this matchmaking that occurs <laughs> for lack of a better word. So, you know, the idea of providing quality is where we spend a lot of our time here at Tauru through, you know, job title optimizations based on what we're seeing from from the world of, of, of job searching through qualifying questions in which we can help companies reach the right talent. There are a lot of ways in which we think about quality and we think about driving the match for job seekers and employers. And I think if we can do a better job of matching and be more effective of the requirements of the jobs and the skills of the job seekers, then what happens is I think we have less of the black hole issue because what I would hope is if we're driving the right candidates to the right jobs, to the right employers, that conversation and that interview happens really fast. <laughs> and I think where as an industry, we fall a bit 
is because our matching uh, needs to um, needs to evolve. I think a lot of people are applying for jobs that they may not be a great fit for. And when employers don't respond, it's not because they're just not responding to talent. It's because that candidate isn't a quite, quite a fit. And maybe that employer doesn't know how to break it to the candidate that they're not a great fit for the job. And so if we can focus more on the match, we can focus more on the search, we can help companies you know, reach the right talent at the right time and at the right place. So that's how we think about it. And we have a host of other solutions in which we're, you know, we're working on to ensure that, you know, we're moving that forward. But um, I think it's, I think it's an interesting move in how this intersection of consumer marketing and, uh, you know, of course, consumer marketing, recruitment marketing. Yeah, I think I think it's very hard for recruiters to talk about putting the, the human and human resources. It's very hard for recruiters to tell somebody, I'm sorry, you're, you're not a fit. Um, we don't we don't want you. You're, you're, no one likes to be rejected. And your job in HR or your job in talent acquisition is to reject people for a living. And that's not how they look at it. But that's, you know, 80, 90 percent of the candidates who apply are going to get rejected. That's a tough place to be. Um, and also, we're all terrified now of reviews and what's going to happen to our reputation. Well, it's probably worse when we say nothing than when we're honest with people. I think employers have to realize that that transparency that you mentioned is actually a key to building your Glassdoor reviews. And, and yeah, you're not going to be perfect. You're going to upset some people, but then you can own up to it. You can have conversations and the people who do want to work for you are going to really value the fact that you're, you're an open, honest, transparent kind of organization. All right. So let's wrap things up. People are going to want to know more about you. They're going to want to know more about Tauru. Where can they get that information? Feel free to send me an email. It's uh, thad, T-H-A-D, at Tower.com, or you can check us out at Tower.com. Happy to answer any questions. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Really appreciate you uh, listening in. And again, David and Vicki, thank you for inviting me to the show. This has been terrific. Hope you all have a terrific and sunny weekend in South Florida. Thank you so Thanks much. so much for this. is a great conversation. Really appreciate it. Got it. Thank you. Take care now. Wow, that was a great conversation with Thad Price from Calaroo, wasn't it, David? Really enjoyed talking with him. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I mean, you know, me, anybody who's going to say that recruiting is marketing is going to get me all excited. But I really liked hearing his views. And it, it's nice because he supports the staffing industry. He supports corporate HR. He's got a different view than a lot of people that we've had on the show, but really well aligned with where I think staffing companies are trying to go right now. Well, I don't think they have a choice. We have to we have to change something because the market is changing. The um, the needs of the the talent, the needs of our candidates are different. Uh, things have changed dramatically since the pandemic started, and just the way people look for jobs and and their thought process around jobs. And I think um, Thad talked a lot about you know the baby baby boomers retiring a little bit earlier than we expected. Um, the, the impact of the gig marketplace and the opportunities that presents and um, remote work, all three of those things making a huge impact. Yeah, I mentioned it, you know, being the perfect storm. And one of the things that I marked down really stood out to me is this need to go in from reactive to proactive, reactive to strategic. Mm-hmm. And for organizations, I'm thinking for all of the, our staffing and recruiting firm clients, like how do they partner with their clients? They've tried to do workforce planning for years, 
But now more than ever, people have to be even more forward-looking and thinking about, all right, talent is a strategy. Talent acquisition is a strategy. It's core function. If the IT department manager waits till there's a vacancy on his or her team and they don't have the right engineer for three months, what's the impact? If we're understaffed in the warehouse, what's the impact? Yeah, that is the discussion about capacity constraints and really thinking about people as a revenue center rather than thinking about it as cost. And that change of mindset allows you to think about, I'm making this investment in, the, in our business, in our company, and there's a return on investment that I can expect. And if I start to have those conversations and change my thinking around what are our employees and who are employees and what is the impact they're having on our business that changes the mindset of how you hire as well. Yeah. When he was talking about the FedEx example, I kept thinking about a case study that we had written up many years ago. It was about a hospital in Sweden. I think it was Karolinska hospital. And this hospital was bleeding cash. I mean, they were losing money like crazy. And the natural reaction of everybody was we have to cut costs because we're losing money. But they brought in a consultant who said, well, the issue isn't your costs are out of alignment. The issue is your operating rooms are sitting idle because you don't have enough doctors. Right. You don't have enough nurses and you don't have enough maintenance people to clean up the OR between operations. So what they found was by hiring, increasing costs, they could increase revenue by more than the offset in the increase in expense, and they made the hospital profitable by hiring. And that FedEx example is very similar, but that's that whole thinking through the business function strategically. And if you're a salesperson in staffing or a recruiter in staffing, you know, be asking your clients, where are the capacity constraints that are holding your business back? Because if I can help you break through those with the right talent, I can make your business more profitable. And that's gonna be a different discussion than most staffing companies are having with those decision makers. Yeah, exactly. I think the other point that I, that really resonated with me, and this is probably not a surprise, is that you have to be constantly testing and rethinking, constantly improving and constantly innovating and be the disruptor of your own business. Um, that is core to who I am and probably came from my very early days at Xerox when we talked about a continual improvement process. And I bring that to work every day, but it was really nice to have that conversation about the entire staffing industry and the recruiting industry and how we need to be thinking about what's changing and how we can evolve our businesses based on what we're seeing in that labor market. There's yeah, transformation I, happening. I, and I don't know, like in mar marketing world, you're always talking about A-B testing things and how much testing is going on in recruitment process. It's very difficult to change recruiting process. And if you're a staffing or recruiting company, it's even more difficult to get your clients to change their process. But if they don't test different ways to do things, maybe it's automation, maybe it's using a different methodology for hiring. I know in our own business, we switched our methodology because the prior one didn't have as good a success record. Now we've got one that's much better, which means we have to do less hiring. It's great. Um, one of the other things that really stood out for me from dad's talk was when he started talking about the marketing funnel and, and instantly if the picture mm -hmm. went off in my brain of what that funnel looks like. And so it usually in the marketing funnel at the top, you're doing things that are more lead generation. They may be content sharing, things you're doing to get the audience to be aware of who you are, to start to engage and activate that audience, to create an intent of wanting to talk to you. 
in the recruiting process, we almost always start the process at apply or job advertising, but that's really the middle of the funnel. There's not enough at the top of the funnel to engage tomorrow's candidates. And you know, when I use the Disney example of waiting in line, I was listening to a Neil Patel podcast yesterday on creating communities. And in the podcast, the speaker wasn't Neil, it wasn't his guest speaker. The speaker talked about that you really create communities with people when you engage them on three different senses. So if I share something online, I can get their eyes. I may be able to get their ears if I've got video, but that's sort of what I'm limited to. So how do you get touch? How do you get other forms of feel? How do you get taste? Now that's not gonna happen in an online process, but this guy talked about creating live events where people are shaking hands, where they're going to the bar and having a drink, they're sharing a meal, they're having a coffee together. If you're in a really hard to recruit for industry, how can you rethink talent community? So how can I really, when I'm not hiring, be engaging tomorrow's candidates? So people are like, boy, I wanna work for this organization. They're not like everybody else. I, I don't have any ideas off the top of my head, but it seems like there are ways to create talent community that go way beyond what people are doing now with just automation and newsletters. Well, I, I think a lot of that starts with having a culture and the brand and having that alignment and that community has to address that it's part of that culture and it's part of who you are as a company and this community fits in with that. Suddenly your funnel is full of people in that community um, that are also aligned with your culture and now you can start to feed that community through the funnel. Sorry, I didn't hear that. My phone's ringing. <laughs> no, just ask if you had any other, it's the uh, problem with any Zoom. other points that you wanted to share as take-homes from today. I just can't believe, cannot believe that you have not mentioned battle cards. <laughs> I haven't. I, well, I've not done battle cards. I like that concept, though, of, of actually documenting, here's what the competition says. And the competition here, you know, it's going to be other direct employers who, who do what you do. It's going to be the gig workers. For some people, it's going to be leaving the workforce entirely. And what, why is working for our organization a better option? And if you're a staffing company in particular, and you're representing temporary jobs, or you're representing the jobs of other employers, what's the battle card that you go against with working through you as opposed to working by trying to go directly to the employer? And I think the idea of creating those battle cards that become the foundation of content for your your website and your social media and your email and your texting outreach is a great idea. So thank you for reminding me. <laughs> All right. We better wrap up We've, people have other things to do. I'm sure rather than listening to us talk. <laughs> well, hopefully everybody got some good take home from Thad in our conversation today. I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode of secrets of staffing success. Um, I'm not joking. When we say we would love your feedback, please leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. Um, or better yet, just reach out to us. Uh, reach out to us at Haley Marketing. And if you have suggestions for guests, if you have feedback as to how we can be better, we would love your feedback because ultimately the reason we're doing this is to hopefully share ideas that are helping drive and grow your staffing business and your recruiting business. So from Vicki and I, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Bye now from sunny Florida. Bye.